0: CHAPTER One OF Nostromo. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Gesina. Nostromo: A Tale of the Seaboard by Joseph Conrad. So Foul a Sky Clears Not Without a Storm. Shakespeare dedicated to John Goldsworthy. CHAPTER One. In the time of Spanish rule, and for many years afterwards, the town of Sulaco, the luxuriant beauty of the orange gardens bears witness to its antiquity, had never been commercially anything more important than a coasting port with a fairly large local trade in ox-hides and indigo. The clumsy deep-sea galleons of the conquerors, that, needing a brisk gale to move at all, would lie becalmed, where your modern ship, built on clipper lines, forged ahead by the mere flapping of her sails, had been barred out of Sulaco by the prevailing calms of its vast gulf. Some harbours of the earth are made difficult of access by the treachery of sunken rocks and the tempests of their shores sulaco had found an inviolable sanctuary from the temptations of a trading world in the solemn hush of the deep golfo placido as within an enormous semicircular and unroofed temple open to the ocean with its walls of lofty mountains hung with the morning draperies of cloud on one side of this broad curve in the straight seaboard of the republic of costaguana the last spur of the coast range forms an insignificant cape whose name is Punta Mala. From the middle of the gulf the point of the land itself is not visible at all, but the shoulder of a steep hill at the back can be made out faintly, like a shadow on the sky. On the other side, what seems to be an isolated patch of blue mist, floats lightly on the glare of the horizon. This is the peninsula of Azuera, a wild chaos of sharp rocks and stony levels cut about by vertical ravines. It lies far out to sea, like a rough head of stone stretched from a green-clad coast, at the end of a slender neck of sand, covered with thickets of thorny scrub. Utterly waterless, for the rainfall runs off at once on all sides into the sea. It has not soil enough, it is said, to grow a single blade of grass, as if it were blighted by a curse. The poor, associating by an obscure instinct of consolation the ideas of evil and wealth, will tell you that it is deadly because of its forbidden treasures. The common folk of the neighborhood, peons of the estancias, vaqueros of the seaboard plains, tame Indians coming miles to market with a bundle of sugar cane or a basket of maize worth about threepence, are well aware that heaps of shining gold lie in the gloom of the deep precipices cleaving the stony levels of Azuera. Tradition has it that many adventurers of olden time had perished in the search. The story also goes that within men's memory two wandering sailors, Americanos perhaps, but gringos of some sort for certain, talked over a gambling, good-for-nothing mozo, and the three stole a donkey to carry for them a bundle of dry sticks, a water skin, and provisions enough to last a few days. Thus accompanied, and with revolvers at their belts, they had started to chop their way with machetes through the thorny scrub on the neck of the peninsula. On the second evening an upright spiral of smoke, it could only have been from their campfire, was seen for the first time "'within memory of man standing up faintly upon the sky "'above a razor-backed ridge on the stony head. "'The crew of a coasting schooner, "'lying becalmed three miles off the shore, "'stared at it with amazement till dark. "'A negro fisherman, living in a lonely hut "'in a little bay nearby, had seen the start "'and was on the lookout for some sign. "'He called to his wife just as the sun was about to set.' They had watched the strange portent with envy incredulity and awe the impious adventurers gave no other sign the sailors the indian and the stolen burro were never seen again as to the mozo a sulaco man his wife paid for some masses and the poor four-footed beast being without sin had been probably permitted to die but the two gringos spectral and alive are believed to be dwelling to this day amongst the rocks, under the fatal spell of their success. Their souls cannot tear themselves away from their bodies, mounting guard over the discovered treasure. They are now rich and hungry and thirsty a strange theory of tenacious gringo ghosts, suffering in their starved and parched flesh of defined heretics, where a Christian would have renounced and been released. These, then, are the legendary inhabitants of Azuera, guarding its forbidden wealth. And the shadow on the sky on the one side, with the round patch of blue haze blurring the bright skirt of the horizon on the other, mark the two outermost points on the bend which bears the name of Golfo Placido, because never a strong wind had been known to blow upon its waters. On crossing the imaginary line, drawn from Punta Mala to Azuera, the ships from Europe, bound to Sulaco, lose at once the strong breezes of the ocean. They become the prey of capricious airs that play with them for thirty hours at a stretch sometimes. Before them the head of the calm gulf is filled on most days of the year by a great body of motionless and opaque clouds. On the rare clear mornings another shadow is cast upon the sweep of the gulf. The dawn breaks high behind the towering and serrated wall of the Cordillera, a clear-cut vision of dark peaks rearing their steep slopes on a lofty pedestal of forest rising from the very edge of the shore. Amongst them the white head of Higuerota rises majestically upon the blue. Bare clusters of enormous rocks sprinkle with tiny black dots the smooth dome of snow. Then, as the midday sun withdraws from the gulf, the shadow of the mountains, the clouds begin to roll out of the lower valleys. They swathe in somber tatters the naked crags of precipices above the wooded slopes, hide the peaks, smoke in stormy trails across the snows of Higuerota. The cordillera is gone from you as if it had dissolved itself into great piles of grey and black vapours that travel out slowly to seaward and vanish into thin air all along the front before the blazing heat of the day. The wasting edge of the cloud-bank always strives for, but seldom wins, the middle of the gulf. The sun, as the sailors say, is eating it up, unless perchance a sombre thunderhead breaks away from the main body to career all over the gulf till it escapes into the offing beyond Azuera where it bursts suddenly into flame and crashes like a sinister pirate ship of the air, hove-to above the horizon, engaging the sea. At night, the body of clouds advancing higher up the sky smothers the whole quiet gulf below with an impenetrable darkness, in which the sound of the falling showers can be heard beginning and ceasing abruptly, now here, now there. Indeed, these cloudy nights are proverbial with the seamen along the whole west coast of a great continent. Sky, land and sea disappear together out of the world when the Placido, as the saying is, goes to sleep under its black poncho. The few stars left below the seaward frown of the vault shine feebly as into the mouth of a black cavern. In its vastness your ship floats unseen under your feet, her sails flutter invisible above your head. The eye of God himself, they add with grim profanity, could not find out what work a man's hand is doing in there, and you would be free to call the devil to your aid with impunity if even his malice were not defeated by such a blind darkness. The shores on the gulf are steep too, all round, three uninhabited islets, baking in the sunshine just outside the cloud veil, and opposite the entrance to the harbour of Sulaco bear the name of the Isabel's. There is the great Isabel, the little Isabel, which is round, and Hermosa, which is the smallest. That last is no more than a foot high, and about seven paces across, a mere flat top of a grey rock which smokes like a hot cinder after a shower, "'and where no man would care to venture a naked soul before sunset. "'On the little Isabel an old ragged palm, "'with a thick bulging trunk rough with spines, "'a very witch among palm trees, "'rustles a dismal bunch of dead leaves above the coarse sand. "'The great Isabel has a spring of fresh water "'issuing from the overgrown side of a ravine. "'Resembling an emerald green wedge of land a mile long, and laid flat upon the sea, it bears two forest trees standing close together, with a wide spread of shade at the foot of their smooth trunks. A ravine extending the whole length of the island is full of bushes, and, presenting a deep tangled cleft on the high side, spreads itself out on the other into a shallow depression abutting on a small strip of sandy shore. From that low end of the great Isabel the eye plunges through an opening two miles away, as abrupt as if chopped with an axe out of the regular sweep of the coast, right into the harbour of Sulaco. It is an oblong, lake-like piece of water. On one side the short wooded spurs and valleys of the cordillera come down at right angles to the very strand. On the other the open view of the great Sulaco plain passes into the opal mystery of great distances, overhung by dry haze. The town of Sulaco itself, tops of walls, a great cupola, gleams of white miradors in a vast grove of orange trees, lies between the mountains and the plain, at some little distance from its harbour and out of the direct line of sight from the sea. End of chapter 1